To celebrate the recent publication of the Oxford Companion to Spirits and Cocktails, we partnered with some amazing brands to explore a few of our most interesting findings from the research, writing, and editing of the book. This week's episode is in partnership with Grand Marnier. The book is now available at bookstores around the world. Welcome to another edition of Life Behind Bars. I'm Noah Rothman, Daily Beast, half full editor. Joining me as always is my colleague and co-host, David Wondrich. How are you, Dave? Uh, well, that's a weird question these days, <laughs> but I think I'm probably okay. I, 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 I think the, the correct answer is I am thinking about cocktails and what to drink. You know, one of the things working on the Oxford Companions and Spirits and Cocktails we even found some new cocktail recipes. I mean, I, I didn't think, Dave, that there were any cocktail recipes that you didn't know about or had tried, and yet we discovered some that even you had not had. One of my favorite recipes that that we included that was a complete shocker is for a very, very old version of the Bijou, which includes uh, Grand Marnier and gin and sweet vermouth. And it's one of those things I had no idea what it would taste like until we tried it. And it's absolutely delicious and, and one that um, I have since recommended to many people. Perfect for, uh, I, I mean, not that I have a fireplace, but if I had a fireplace, I would make a big fire and I'd <laughs> fix a round of bijoux and some elegant cocktail glasses and uh, pour them for, for me and my wife and some friends and family. And we'd all sit there uh, drinking bijoux. One of my you know, favorite ingredients really, and 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 one that's been enduringly popular is is curacao and, and orange liqueurs. And to be honest, it's it's often one of these things that shows up all the time, but nobody really ever talks about in, in you know in great detail. Or, Hard to or, get to the bottom of it. You know, yeah. it's uh, curacao is is a very broad category in spirits, and what it is is basically it's a a sweetened spirit flavored with oranges yeah uh and it turns out like why oranges well i don't know but <laughs> but oranges have always been popular for flavoring spirits at least since the 18th century it's named after the island of Curacao uh, in the dutch caribbean where they had these special small bitter oranges uh, that uh, don't taste good for eating but the peels are great when you distill them with spirit and, you know, distill them with spirits. And uh, they were an export and uh, uh, people found that you don't have to use Curacao oranges, although they're the best. Uh, you can use oranges from pretty much anywhere. And if you distill orange peel with spirits, you're going to end up with something tasty. And that goes back at least to the early 18th century. I've seen recipes for that. But uh, it gets the name Curacao. In the late in the late 18th century, citrus peels are like incredibly important in many forms, uh, like in in mixology and cocktails, right? I mean, they've got the oil in there, which has all of the flavor, or or or, or a very concentrated version of the flavor of the fruit. So, like uh, the the beautiful you know oleosaccharum that you make that you've taught all of us to make for punch, you know, where you're extracting the lemon oils into the sugar. You know, people have been candying, you know, different types of peels forever, you know, forever. whether it's, you know, mixing them with chocolate, obviously citrus goes beautifully with a range of spirits, whether it's, you know, whether it's, you know, in things like 
you know, the botanical mix of gin or mixing, you know, orange, a little bit of orange with um, whiskey, even like you get all of these interesting combinations. And I think part of it is what drives this is that, you know, for so long, we're spoiled. Now you go to the supermarket, you can get lemons, limes, oranges, whenever you want. Right. I mean, I saw Buddha hand the other day, right. You know, yeah. like you, you can literally get <laughs> Good luck what, feeling that thing. Right. <laughs> I mean, you literally could get anything you want. Part of it is that, you know, back in the day, like citrus was hard to come by citrus fruits and, and yeah, that it was seasonal. It was seasonal. You know, nobody was flying anywhere, let alone flying shipments of fruit, you know, across the country, around the world. So mm-hmm. when you did get fruit, you wanted to make sure you got every last flavorful, like, you know, bit out of it. Right. right. So you, the fruit you'd yeah, eat, they were the, expensive. They were expensive. You, you, you know, you would eat the peel like as candy. You use the peel for, mm-hmm. for punch or to make, you know, other things. So, I mean, I think part of it was just, you know, we talk a lot about nose to tail, like, you know, eating, but this was, you know, stem to, to pit eating, stem you know, to peel eating, <laughs> stem to peel, where <laughs> nothing went you, this was zero, this was original zero waste. Right. And, and that's what drives so much. I think of cocktails and spirits is this desire to get every last shred of flavor out of, you know, an ingredient. That's what happened with, with, uh, Curacao is, you know, it used to be when, when, when it was invented, I, I mean, I think you're absolutely right, because when it was invented, it was really simple. You just put the peels in the brandy and ran it through a still and you took it off. And then in the early 19th century, uh, somebody said, like, no, we're, we're leaving too much behind there. So what they did is they distilled the, uh, the they put the peels in brandy and distill it. Then they take the, the peels that were left. And they'd run steam through those to get that alcohol off, you know, the alcohol that was stuck in the peel. Incredible. So they they distill that off too. And then they'd blend those two together. And then they said, wait a minute, you know, this is still not orangey enough. So what if we take fresh orange peels from another set of oranges and put those in strong brandy and don't distill it, but let it let them just steep in there because that gives you a different uh, orange flavor you know a different aspects of the flavor come out and then we'll mix that in with the other stuff and that was how they made curacao in france in particular through much of the 19th century including uh the marnier lapostol family uh they started making their curacao and in 1891 they got approached by the cafe royal which was the swankiest restaurant in london and a night spot. And the Cafe Royal said, you know that bit where you do an infusion of orange peels in, in neutral spirit at the end and blend it in? And they said, yes, of course. How do you know about that? <laughs> Whatever. And uh, they said, well, we know. And uh, what we want you to do is uh, take some of this old cognac from our cellars here at the Cafe Royal in London, and uh, we'll send it over to you. And you'll do that final infusion with that. And we'll, we're going to use this as like an after-dinner drink. It's going to be deluxe because we're going to have old cognac uh, blended in basically with this very nice orange liqueur that you folks make. And uh, the Marnier people said, we can do that. 
send us the cognac. They did. Everybody thought this is pretty delicious. This guy, uh, Payard, who runs the uh, restaurant Payard in Paris, whence we have chicken Payard, which we all know about, uh, he goes to them and says uh, to the Marnier folks and goes, you know, I've got some old cognac, too, in my (laughs) cellars right here in Paris. And uh, could you do the same thing for me? And they say, yeah, sure. And he looks at the bottles that they give him after they've done that. And he goes, you know, this is just your regular bottle. Can you do something special? Why don't you put a red ribbon on it? And they go, well, we could do that. And he goes, thank you. And, you know, he's he's selling this stuff. And next thing he knows, he's walking down the Boulevard des Italiens or whatever, someplace in Paris. And he looks in the shop window and there is Marnier Curacao with a red ribbon on it. Uh, made with brandy from their own cellars. And uh, Payard was outraged and sued them and lost, which is how we know all this, is we've got the documents from the lawsuit. Meanwhile, the, the Marnier people are, you know, they're, they're doing very well with this and this super deluxe Coruscant that they're making. And they decide, you know, maybe we should like call it something a little more special instead of just Coruscant Marnier, the good stuff or whatever. Let's call it Grand Marnier. Yeah. and. Uh, so they call it Grand Marnier, and it says Corsau in little letters on the label, and eventually they even get rid of that. And it just becomes Grand Marnier. And by like 1895, this stuff is a sensation. They're selling it in America. It comes up in cocktail books. It's been a sensation ever since. I mean, it, it's one of the classic liqueurs. But <laughs> it, it kind of has a roundabout path there. Well, I mean, it makes sense, too, because it's, you know, what what could be better than old cognac and like, you know, infused with orange flavor from oranges. You know, what I mean, it's like one of these like yeah, chocolate it's... and peanut butter, like like what a, what an idea, you know, <laughs> like, it's super versatile. Uh, one of uh, uh, back when I was writing for Esquire magazine, you know, I had to write stuff for people all over the country who not, didn't necessarily have access to the biggest, best-stocked liquor stores or bars uh, to bars that carried, you know, 28 kinds of bitters and uh, uh, 150 liqueurs or whatever. And one of the simple drinks I, I came up for them was, if people can't make you a proper old-fashioned, ask for... Uh, bourbon on the rocks with a splash of Grand Marnier and a couple dashes of bitters. Ooh. And that's delicious. And it's just a straight uh, whiskey cocktail out of Jerry Thomas. So it's what he would have called a fancy whiskey cocktail back in 1862, which had a little bit of Curacao in it. So you've got, you know, the Marnier has the Curacao. It's got, uh, you know, it gives you the Curacao flavor. It's 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 nice and, and and good on its own right. It's got enough sugar to sweeten the drink, and everybody carries a bottle of Grand Marnier. It also shows, you know. I mean, I hate to say this. I mean, you and I both love a nice whiskey, but like in the 1800s, whiskey was not exactly the luxury drink it is today, right? It it was if you wanted a fancy drink cognac port 
sherry. Oh, yeah, you know was I mean? a way to go. For sure. I mean, yeah, I mean, maybe champagne, but like really cognac was king and 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 whiskey comes a lot later into the fray as a you know as in scotch and you know whether it's scotch or american whiskey is kind of a you know a luxury american whiskey yeah it's it's a it's you would drink those things when you couldn't get cognac and port and sherry and which is what sort of happens at the end of the 1800s and early 1900s or if you wanted to show people that you were a man of the people and not fancy right I just drink whiskey. I'm a regular person. <laughs> right. A, a regular average Joe. You know, uh, it's a, you can see some politicians stumping. I'll have a whiskey. Like, exactly. you know, uh, I, I don't drink cognac. Meanwhile, the cellar is stocked full of cognac bottles. And, you know, it, it's one of these things where it's really interesting where, you know, our sense of what is, you know, luxurious and what's not. It's it, it a lot of it comes from that period in France where really you get to see luxury and luxury brand names whether it's fashion or if it's alcohol really kind of coming into vogue um and, and people really for the first time seeing national or international brands you well know, it's and, the, i mean it's the very beginning of branding they passed laws protecting trademarks and brands really for the first time like any any important and serious protection in the like 1860s, 1870s, 1880s, all these things that had been versions of stuff that was in the public domain became proprietary brands. Yeah. If, you know, you'd been making Curacao, people sought to brand that what had been a standard recipe. And uh, if they had distinctive trade dress and, uh, and, you know, showed that they've maintained their name for a while, they often got away with that. Somebody had to brand it. Right. And, and you can't and you can't have a luxury brand without advertising. And really, you know, towards the end of the 1800s, we see advertising companies start to form, you know, real mm-hmm. advertising campaigns. In America, you see railroads, you know, finally, it's kind of joining the country into a whole and you get kind of brands that are marketed, you know, uh, you know, across the country or as far as the oh, country yeah. existed at the time. And really this sort of the modern idea of like luxury shopping begins to crop up, whether it's for food or drink or clothing, start to really come together. Well, you, you know, it's, it's funny. There's a case to be made that the, uh, the fame of the Sazerac cocktail is due to the uh, Southern Pacific Railroad that uh, put out a series of tourist brochures to get people to go down to New Orleans. And one of them talked about the bars there and listed huh. the absinthe house and the sazerac bar uh, a, a couple of others but uh, and ramos's uh, cafe where his stag bar where he made the ramos fizz you know so it's 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 quite possible that that had a lot to do that branding push had a lot to do with with the way we think of drinking in new orleans in general uh, i mean it went, it got into a lot of things because this was new territory and it was highly influential and then, I mean, not that many years later, you also have the film industry starts up, right? Where, you know, uh, right. like in the, in the 20th century, and obviously films were famous for portraying certain cultures or styles that may or may not existed before the film came out. But once the film came out, right, right. It, 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 it then it was a self-fulfilling prophecy because people would go to that city and they'd want that what they saw in the movie, whether or not people had ever 
eaten or drunk that before they now wanted that and and that's a really interesting same thing with novels and books too that were or, or, or newspaper accounts there's something more potent about film you know oh, it's, uh... for sure films and tv shows uh you know I, I love the ones that are you know when you you know it's a certain city right where it's i won't name names whether it's paris or new york and it's like a very you know, if you've ever lived in one of these cities, you know that the portrayal is not at all correct. But people who've never been, you know, then want to go to these destinations and do what the characters do, whether or not the locals actually ever really did that. Um, they now do. You know, we see that happening, especially with a lot of French food and drink and the way that it becomes mm -hmm. super popular in culture, not just in France, but obviously in America. And other parts of Europe and, and the United Kingdom where, you know, it becomes so mythologized and legendary. And are these accounts real? Or are they, you know, accurate? Not, it doesn't matter because people, when they go there, they want that experience. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they want just like they saw in the movie. Exactly. <laughs> and, and I think something like, you know, Grand Marnier and a lot of the other brands that, that come out at that time, you know, give people, Mm -hmm. that taste right that 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 authentic taste of you know of, of foreign destinations at the time god knows how long it would have taken to travel from your home or my home in new york all the way to paris you know what i mean across you know it would take a week a, at least at least right and then like you know and then you know and so and, and for most people it, you know, i, I kind of wish it still did <laughs> i know it sounds better and better well, in the Oxford book, there is more on Grand Marnier and Curacao's from all over the world, um, as well as the, the famous Bijou cocktail, which goes through different versions, right? The modern Bijou is quite different than, than the Grand Marnier version. And, and, and I'd say, try the Grand Marnier version. We've got them both in there under Bijou cocktail. There's the one with uh, Chartreuse, which is also delightful. But yeah. the Grand Marnier one is, uh, is a little bit of a dark horse and is, is great. There's also in the Oxford book, a lot on branding. There's a lot on the spirits trade and its history. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, we 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 tried to cover a pretty broad bunch of these these topics as as much as possible. And uh, uh, there are a lot of brands in there that uh, have their histories uh, told reasonably accurately for the first time. So uh, there's a lot to chew on. I'll drink to that. Well, uh, me both. <laughs> well, cheers. Uh, let us know if you make. Uh any of the drinks on uh, Twitter. We'd love to uh, see, hear uh, what you came up with. Cheers. Cheers. Dave and I encourage you to drink responsibly always. 